0: title kind of this message on purpose, How to Walk Through Suffering with God. Uh, this is the most difficult season. It's a season that, uh, bad news, it's a season that no one's going to escape. We, we'd like to, some of us like to do everything we could just like winter, we'd like to escape it if we could kind of squeak by it, maybe jump over it, duck underneath, suffering, if there's some way we could cont- contort our body to not have to go through this particular season. Uh, we don't want to do that. Many of us would not want to do it. In fact, um, when it comes to suffering, or when suffering comes upon us, uh, it's hard for us because we realize, especially those who have experienced that, uh, we realize that, uh, hey, guess what? We're, we're not in control. And, and we never have that. Over 165 times the word suffering or affliction can be found in the scriptures. 165 times. I actually think that one of the hardest things for a person to figure out whether they're going to decide to follow God or not, to give their lives to Jesus, their greatest difficulty is probably... They have no idea what to do with suffering. There's no answer for suffering. How could a good God allow something bad to happen to a good person? Yet we find ourselves in these places of suffering. The title is essential for us today, and I'm also going to gather the if, you, if this is the first time you've looked at the title and maybe it's your first Sunday here and we're in this new series called Seasons and last week we talked about the seasons of the wilderness not knowing what God has for us and now we're in suffering like oh this is might want my one buddy, and just skip. skip through the spring let's just skip through the spring and get through winter there's a difficulty that comes with that and that's why we titled the title this morning is important, we're going to talk about the how not the why Why is there suffering in the world today? We're not going to talk about that today. That's actually several weeks from now. We're going to answer the question why bad things happen to good people. The the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, how do Christians deal with that? We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the how. We're also, there's another word in that title, walk. When, When we have a, when we go through suffering, when we go through those difficult times, we want to get through them so quickly. Like, I'm going to run through this suffering. I don't want to walk. Is there some way I could hurry or duck or jump or contort my body? Um, the problem is that one of the main metaphors in Scripture that, that, that is used in talking about uh, how we handle affliction or how we face affliction, it's the metaphor of walking. Uh, Psalm 23, 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, that's just one of those instances. The key being through. It's important how to walk through suffering. It's not a place where we stay, but it's a place that we walk through. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through, Through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. How to walk through suffering with God. With God. Not in front of God trying to fix it. Not behind wallowing in the self pity and fear that can come in those places of suffering. We get that. We understand that. We know that those things are real. But recognizing that in the midst of suffering, you and I are not alone. And the season of suffering is so closely related to the season of the wilderness. Because the season of the wilderness, you can either be drawn closer to God, or you can find yourself in this spiritual decline, walking away from God, but it won't stay the same. That wilderness experience will change you. So will suffering. It will either draw you closer to God, it will lead you into a place of spiritual decline, but let it be known, and you do know this, it will change you. It's, it's one thing, really, it's one thing to have the knowledge of suffering and what God's Word says and the promises of God's Word, and to have those things either memorized or you know where they're at and you can find them or these passages that you memorize, it's its one thing to have the knowledge of all of those things and promise you it's quite another to live out and through those promises when you're in the midst of suffering it, it is so much easier for us to hand a verse off to someone who's going through suffering than to live through those verses as you go through suffering I, I used to think that a lot when people would talk about having anxiety and I would give them verses, just memorize these verses and you'll feel better <laughs> It's a wonder they didn't punch me. <laughs> like, no, now I feel better. <laughs> you can give me all the Bible. I, I, I've met people uh, many times in the ministry. In fact, just this last week, I had a conversation with a gentleman that said, I have the verses memorized. I have the passages. I know what God's promises are when it comes to suffering. I just can't bear it. Struggling in this difficulty. It is so hard for him. And he doesn't know what to do next, and yet he's got everything memorized. He knows exactly where to go in Scripture, but when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to hold on to him. Let's be okay with that. Okay? Let's just not think about, man, whenever is going to come to me, I'm going to handle this with flying colors. We'll wait. We'll wait and see. I'm reminded of a woman I met many years ago, Isaac. Young youth pastor and ended up spending a lot of time with Faye and her husband Mike because she'd been given uh, the diagnosis of terminal cancer and just a couple of years to uh, a couple of months to live. And I spent an incredible amount of time at their house. You know that her funeral went two and a half hours celebrating, worshiping, singing, just watching this woman. Walk through what everybody else thought was terrible, this terminal cancer that was gonna take her life, and the joy and the rejoicing that she had in her suffering. And one of her comments she made to me, she said, Hey Jared, you know what? We're all dying. I just know when. That's how she handled suffering. Gotta be honest with you, though. I've said this a lot, and you've said this a lot. I don't know how people handle suffering who don't know God. I don't know how people handle suffering who don't know God. So we're going to see today how those who know God how how we handle suffering. How we handle suffering. Take your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter five. We're going to look at verses one through five of. Briefly, for a little bit this morning, then I'm going to take you to the Old Testament and we'll actually get to the how to. I just want to set up so that we understand this uh, this idea of suffering. Okay, so Romans chapter 5, verse 1: Therefore, backs up to everything in chapter 4: Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we, this is where it gets a little crazy, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we, is strange, we rejoice in our sufferings. How do you get to that place? How do you get that place in your life where you actually rejoice in your sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How people who don't know God, or who know God, handle Suffering, the the very first thing they have to notice out of this particular area, when we're talking about suffering, in Romans chapter 5, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is actually talking about a specific group of people. Do you know who they are? They're Christians. This is how we know it. Look at verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith. He's talking about Christians. Christians, listen closely, is what he's saying. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've obtained access by faith to His grace, which He lavishes on us. We can stand in that grace. We can rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but not just in the hope of the glory of God. We also can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why? Because of our faith. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we rejoice in our sufferings. Perspective. Perspective when we go through suffering is everything. Perspective. That word "suffer" means uh, affliction in, in different uh, different places in Scripture. Tribulation in other places. It can mean pressure to be to be pressure Paul uses the phrase various kinds of trials. But there's a phrasing here for Christians that's extremely important. How can we walk through suffering with God? There's a phrase that would be easy for us to glance over, and the reason I think it's easy for us to glance over is because I glance over it all the time when I've read this passage. I've not really looked deeply into this until this moment when I was studying for this. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The glory of God. If I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and write down your definition of the glory of God, what would it be? What would be your definition of the glory of God? And here's why I'm asking that question because defining the glory of God is actually the most comprehensive and difficult thing that the Bible talks about when talking about God. When the Bible talks about the glory of God, it's the hardest thing to understand. But I think there's there's a gentleman, Herman Bovnik, I think when he was writing about the glory of God, he nailed it. This is is his definition of the glory of God. The glory of God is the infinite, indescribable perfection and beauty of all the attributes of God. I'm going to say it again, okay? It's the infinite and indescribable perfection and beauty of all the attributes of God. When we're talking about being able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in all of whom God is. That's what gets us to that place of hope. That's what gets us to that place of rejoicing, that when we are in a moment or a time or a season of suffering, we can recognize as Christians that God is who He says He is, and everything that is perfect and holy and righteous and just about Him is what we can find our rejo- we can find our joy. We can rejoice in that in the midst of suffering. Perspective is everything, but our perspective is based on what we know. This isn't about just having the right things to say when we've been knocked down to the count. It's really important here for us to see that in verse three, not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings knowing, knowing. The key in our suffering is to know. That word knowing here is different than we talked about the word gnosko to uh, Intimately know and have a relationship with God. This word knowing here is different. This word knowing means to understand God's way. We rejoice in our afflictions, understanding God's ways and how he works. And Paul understood this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. He says this, for this light momentary affliction, perspective, perspective. For this light momentary affliction is preparing, it's doing something. We're understanding that God is at work. For this life momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, as we fix our eyes, as we leer, as we we see, not just the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, they're transient, they don't last, these circumstances don't last, this life doesn't last. But the things that are unseen, those are the things that are eternal. Look what he says next. Knowing that suffering produces something. Our suffering, Christ follower, and I'm saying that because that's who Paul is talking to here. Our suffering is to be productive. And it is productive. God is at work and our suffering. Hosea chapter 14 verse 9 says that God's ways are right. In, in Isaiah chapter 55, he says his ways, uh, Isaiah says God's ways are greater than our ways. God is at work. God's the potter. You and I are the clay. Many, many years ago, there was this book that came out. They made it a bumper sticker. The book was called God is my co-pilot And then they made these bumper stickers. stickers, "God is my co-pilot." If that's the case, if you ever had one of those bumper stickers, or if you ever read that book, I just want to encourage you that that's bad theology. Okay? If I'm sitting in a plane and God is my co-pilot, and I think I'm (coughs) on the show, there's going to be a problem. There's going to. God's the pilot. I'm not the co-pilot. I'm not I'm not even the steward on the plane. I'm a passenger. And God is taking me places, God is at work here, God is the potter, and when we're in our suffering, we need to be reminded of that. It's a difficult thing to be reminded of that, that God is the potter and I am the potter. And I'll just be straight with you, I I have no creative gifts whatsoever, even in pottery. Uh, The ashtray that I made in fourth grade, I mean, looked like a dinosaur with a, a... valley on its back. I mean it just looked terrible and and then I have this daughter that has this I don't even know the potter's wheel. I think that's what they call it. And I have this potter's wheel and she makes some really nice things on that and I have no skills whatsoever in any of that. God is the potter. I'm the clay. Isaiah 64 8 says but now O Lord you are our father. We're the clay. You're the potter. We are all the work of your hand. It's perspective. When we're in that season of of suffering, it's all about perspective. And yes, oh yes, it's way easier said than done. It's way easier to give somebody a verse and help them polish whatever it is that they're going through. But I would be a fool to stand up here and say, the only thing you need is to memorize a verse to feel better. I'd be a fool, but, and that's why the title is so important. Walk through, take steps. It's about perspective. What I'm going to give you next are not steps. They look like steps in the in the text this morning, but they're not steps. They're patterns. I want to give you patterns. In fact, a better word for it is even mosaic. I didn't think about this until late last night. I should have a picture of what mosaic is. If you know what that is, it's where different colors and pieces of tile or broken glass are all put together. uh, Just these different separate pieces put together to make this beautiful, beautiful picture. That's what suffering is. Bits and pieces, shards of glass being brought together. By the hand of God, our Potter, to make a beautiful picture. And so, what I'm giving you next, they're not steps to getting through suffering. We're not there yet. I'm giving you a perspective of, of a mosaic, a pattern. These are patterns. A pattern of what it looks like as a Christ follower to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because suffering produces what? Endurance. Or an NIV. Perseverance. This is part of the Mosaic. This is part of the big picture. That our suffering is producing. God allowing this in our life. That it's producing endurance. It's producing perseverance. It's the ability to keep standing. That word perseverance means the ability to keep standing. To bear the weight. To do well. To stand under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. Yeah, thank you so much. Some of you are singing under pressure like Queen and David Bowie look it up, the live uh, YouTube. That's what I went to when I thought of under pressure. Under pressure. And, and, and I see David Bowie. Have you ever really, really, I'm saying really, Listen to the words? They're cracking. They're cracking under the pressure. They don't have an answer for the suffering in the world. And God is saying that the suffering that you go through as a Christian helps you to bear up under that pressure. It's producing something in you. It's producing a perseverance. Have, have you ever noticed, and I see this, uh, I see this a lot actually, uh, have you ever noticed that the person going through the suffering bears up better under it than those watching them go through it? It seems like those that are in those difficult places of suffering that that they're actually bearing up better under the weight of that suffering than those of us that are watching from the outside going, oh my word, what is happening? What is going on? Why is that? Can I just be forthright with you? It's not because they're strong willed and positive thinkers. It's because innately, inside of them, whether they're a Christ follower or not, God has created within them the capacity to persevere. God has created within us the capacity to persevere. But it doesn't just produce endurance. It also produces character. That word character there actually means testedness. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces Christ-likeness. That's what he means here. It produces a Christ-likeness. This is a product of the Holy Spirit in you. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's a pattern pattern is that we endure. The pattern is that under that endurance and under that weight that we would be tested. And as a product of the Holy Spirit living in us, we would grow in our Christ-likeness. And we would look more and more like Jesus. But it doesn't end there. The pattern is this. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces Stay in context produces hope—the hope of the glory of God. That I can trust God for who He is and what He's doing, even in the midst of the fight, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of battle. Oh, that in that suffering, that God would be seen in in me. Job, in the midst of his suffering. And if you've ever read the book of Job, he suffered greatly early. But in chapter 23, verses 8-10, he's still struggling, still very difficult for him. He doesn't see God in his suffering, but listen to what he says. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. He's not seeing God. Backward, I don't even perceive him behind me. On the left hand, when he is working, I don't see it. I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand. I, I don't even see him on my I can't see God in any of this. But, but, but he, God, knows. What did I take? How can he do this? How in the midst of his suffering could Job say that I can't see God? Anywhere, but he knows. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, when he has tested my character, I'll come out as gold. The only way any of this is possible, the only way any of this is possible. Because of the gospel. The only way any of this is possible is because of Jesus. Let me show you. Verse 6, Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for the one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of Paul speaking about suffering and bearing up under the weight of suffering, he's reminding us of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ suffered in the way that he suffered, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us. Who gets it? Jesus gets it, and he's not left you and I alone. How do I deal? How do I get through this? Only Jesus, only Jesus can get me through this. How? How to walk through suffering with God. Turn to Psalm 34, if you would. The Psalms have a song. That's what they are. Psalms are songs. The Psalms have a song for every season of, of life. And they capture, what's beautiful about this is they capture what we're thinking and what we're, what we're feeling. And they point us upward. The Psalms get us to think biblically, even when our feelings are detached. It gets us to a place where we can worship God. And in every season of life, the Psalms help us to be honest with how we feel. It's not always pretty. It's not always easy. In fact, it's quite difficult to walk through suffering. We can be honest with those feelings while at the same time reconciling the truth that the glory of God gives us hope. That's exactly what the Psalms do. Chicago Tribune. When... Reverend Scott and Janet Wilson moved into a modest one-bedroom <laughs> condominium, and they hung a picture of their six youngest children to comfort them as they start life over. Written under the portrait are verses from Psalm 34, which read in part: "Which read in part, I will bless the Lord at all times; His praise shall continually be in my mouth." Those were the words Janet Willis fiercely repeated to herself. As she was placed into an ambulance in nineteen ninety four, moments after watching her six children die in a minivan fire. Verses from Psalm thirty-four have been etched on the children's tombstone and this message what one should do in times of sorrow. I remember that time. I remember exactly what happened. I remember it first of all because he was a pastor, but I remember it because a uh uh, an angled piece of iron dropped off of a semi hit underneath their minivan and immediately burst it into flames. And six of their children died in that flaming crash. I remember that story coming out and immediately, even in interviews, the very first thing that Mrs. Willis would start off saying is she would say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then she would say this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. How could she do that? How could she do that? Only because the hope of the glory of God could she walk through the valley of the shadow of death. None of us would ever heap that on our wildest enemies to lose six of your children In a fiery crash. How do you walk out of that and not be changed? Psalm 34. Let me give you some steps this morning. And these are actual steps. Walk through suffering. These are actual steps. Let me give them to you quickly this morning. Almost out of time. Number one, obsess on the awesomeness of God. When you and I find ourselves in the place of suffering and struggling, and let's just remind ourselves: if it hasn't happened yet, bearer of good news, it will. <clears throat> Obsess on the awesomeness of God. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on me. Verse 3 says, Oh magnify. That word O, now in some translations it's just the letter O, in other translations it's OH. OH is the better translation of that because the way that it's written is actually this. Hang on, I'm going to wake some people up. Oh! 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 Magnify! This isn't about my suffering. Let's make God as big as God can be in all of this. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. Together, don't, don't just watch me magnify God in this. Don't sit back and question God's goodness in all of this. Join in with me. Magnify God with me. obsessed on the awesomeness of God because your heart individually needs it and our hearts watching you go through suffering, our hearts collectively need to see the goodness of God in you. You need to see the goodness of God in me when God takes me through a time of suffering It needs to do well in my heart to to wax eloquently on the greatness and magnitude of God. Not just for my heart, for those around me. Obsess on the awesomeness of God. Secondly, trust that God can do it. Verse 4 through 7, I saw the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Notice he doesn't say that he delivered him completely from his struggle. He delivered him from his fear. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man, David's pointing to himself, and he said, This poor man, he cried out. i mm-hmm. man. I'm cry. Mm-hmm. David was a warrior, a soldier, and a king. And he says, This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David's saying that what he wants us to see that God is able to powerfully help those who hope in him. David's saying that when you're tempted to despair, remember 1 John 4:4, 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's just reminding us of who God is. Obsessed on the awesomeness of God. Trust God can do it. Find rest in Him. That's the third thing. Find rest in Him. What beautiful words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That word taste means to make a a discerning judgment. Weigh it. Weigh it. Test it. Assess it. See if God is actually good. Oh, taste and see. Do you ever, ever do that? I'm a picky eater, and, and, and something might get plopped on my plate, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to taste and see if it is good, okay? And even if it is, I don't want to give the satisfaction to anybody else in the room. That's not bad. It's not bad. You know what it's like to taste and see if something is good? This is what David is saying here. Rest. God is satisfying. He meets our every need. He's good all of the time. Obsessed on the awesomeness of God. Trust God can do it. Find rest in Him. And obey God even in the waiting. This is hard. This is a hard one. David takes a little bit of a turn in this psalm. And he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and who loves many days loves many days, that he may see good Verses 13 and 14, he gives advice. In the midst of your suffering, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why does he do that? Why does David do that? Because he knows. We know that suffering is hard. And it's very easy to get into that place where we begin a pattern of complaining and discontent and and tiresome and worn out. And just a Friday morning, bolted over to Iowa City. Dad finally was able to have the surgery that he's needed. We're rejoicing. Chest tube comes out. Food tube comes out. He's walking around. He's got this massive uh, slit on the side of his neck. And uh, we talked, as we talked before the surgery, how he had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And it seemed like forever to him. Still not out of the woods. God is good. Taste and see. Stay obedient during that time, even during the waiting. Pray, be confident in him. Don't ignore him. Obey him. See that God is not ignoring you. Obsess on the awesomeness of God. Trust God can do it. Find rest in him. Obey God in the waiting. See that God is not ignoring you. This is beautiful. Psalm 34, if you're going through suffering, this is for you. The eyes of the Lord Or toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Oh good, I have eyes and I have his ears. (laughs) Let's not stop. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God's not ignoring you. He sees you. He hears you. He's coming alongside of you. Walk with God. God hears the cries of those who need him. And we can be tempted to think. I can be tempted to think. I have thought these thoughts. I can be tempted to think that God is no longer listening. That God is no longer there. I can be tempted to be like Job and say, I don't see him in front of me. I don't see him beside me. I don't see him behind me. I just don't see him. But he's there. And the Lord is near to the broken hearted and saves the crushed in spirit. One last thing. Thanks for hanging with me. Hope. Hope. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, don't lose hope. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not few, not a couple. Live long enough. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. It's interesting that that verse John uses to talk about Jesus in the book of John, the Gospels. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. The Lord redeems the life of His servant, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Two of the most beautiful words in all of Psalm 34 for those of us who are following Christ: He will redeem you. He will continue. That, what that means is He will continue to save you. Your salvation didn't happen just this one time when you surrendered your life to Jesus. He said, "I continually redeem you. I continually." save you each and every step, each and every day, each and every moment. And no one, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. You and I are looking to Jesus for our ultimate redemption from our suffering. I simply want to end like this. If you could go ahead and close everything up this morning, I want to read you a quote from a very good book suffering from uh, Timothy Keller. And the reason that I want to read it to you and it's not on the screen is because I want you to listen and pay attention. I don't want you to read it. I want you to listen and really hear it. This might be, I've read a lot of books on suffering. This might be the best paragraph I've ever read on suffering. Jesus lost all his glory So that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. Jesus Christ suffered, not so that we would never suffer, but so that when we suffer, we would be like Him. His suffering led to glory, and if you know that, if you know that that glory is coming, you and I can handle suffering too. One of the things King David did in Psalm 34, right at the very end, is he took us to a very eternal place. He got us to think of our suffering past the circumstances we're in. He got us to take us past the suffering that actually may lead us to death. And after death, he takes us to this place of eternal refuge in Christ Jesus. The, the most awesome and glorious deliverance from all of our suffering. And it only comes because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. People ask, how in the world can you handle suffering? Jesus. 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 I'll fail, I'll struggle, I'll question, it'll hurt, I have to get my feelings in line with biblical truth and with the worship of God and remember who He is. All of the glory of God is not meant for this day. It's meant for that day. That day when we spend eternity with